You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. Fridays are Locked On NBA, Nick Angstat of Locked On Mavericks and Adam Mattis of Locked On Nuggets. Power rank the week that was in the NBA. Follow the Locked On NBA podcast today, wherever you get podcasts. Today's show is a great one. Well, the first time guest joining me to talk about one of the most ambitious off-season projects I've ever seen. He's a content creator for the Rise Network and a writer and podcaster with a Hoopheads podcast network. It's Matt Issa. Matt, how are you, man? I'm good, David. How are you? That's some lofty praise right there. <laughs> I, I look. We'll save the full description. I'll give you the opportunity to really get into it. But uh, I, I really do think it's quite ambitious. I, I, it's, I'm curious about your whole motivation and everything else. Like that. Again, I think we'll get into it down the road. Full disclosure, you had reached out to me via Twitter and mentioned that you were working on this big project. And I was curious about it. And the project is called The Quest. I'll give you an opportunity to, to give my listeners some more details about it. But once I started listening to your most recent episodes and everything else that's been going on with the project. It seems like a really, like I said, ambitious project. It's interesting that you were willing to go into one of the most hotly debated topics on NBA Twitter and NBA fandom in general. Uh, so here's your cue. What is the quest? Yeah, the quest for the best. And it's most like, you know, elevator pitch, Mad Men uh, <laughs> description is it seeks to be, it's a six part podcast series, kind of like a, like the mayor of East town, but for podcasts and not about Kate Winslet, you know, as like a, what is she like a principal or something like that? I haven't watched it. No, but, um, but I, I've heard good things about it. I haven't watched it yet either, but um, it's a six part podcast series about the 10 greatest players in NBA history. Right. And what it does is it seeks to be the most thorough and up-to-date top 10 list of the players yet created. Um, I conducted 71 interviews, I believe, Ooh. for this series with uh, various coaches, players, media members, executives. And I also created my own statistic, which um, it, it's not it's not really as complex as like, I don't know, like Ben Taylor's like passer rating stat or like, I don't know, some of Ben Falk's stats or something. But it's it's a stat, you know, it's its own stat. No one's ever created it before. The all. Um, yeah, I watched uh, watched a lot of game film, way too many hours. My friends who who live with me, um, you know, I'd watch in the living room a lot. So they would sit down and they'd watch a little bit. And they're just like, like, there's no way that people could have watched this like in the eighties and seventies, like just the television product and like the presentation and not knowing the score. Like you could be watching a whole game. You could be watching intently and you couldn't be able to tell people like who's winning and losing. You know what I mean? <laughs> but um, yeah. So the first two episodes are out right now on all podcast platforms and Basically, it's like a like a 70s TV show, you know, it comes out like once a week. So you got to wait until Tuesday <laughs> at 12, 15 a.m. in the morning to get the next episode. But um, yeah, that's like the basic gist of it. Yeah. Uh, like I said, uh, really exciting stuff. Uh, what was it that made you interested in getting into a topic like this? Because it feels like obviously you're taking the input from all the people you interviewed and using your own criteria and your own methodology for kind of figuring out who eventually will be the best of the best. But what was your motivation for this? Cause it seems like at least in listening to the first two episodes, it feels like it was a very personal project for you as well. Uh, but you know, just 
seeing how people on Twitter and just, you know, kind of just sitting at a bar talking to friends and everything else like that. It seems like it's just one of those fun debates to have, but you wanted to just kind of hammer it out and find an actual result and quantify in a way that maybe nobody else had before. Yeah. Now from like a, like an advertising perspective, again, like, you know, like trying to base it off of like what people listen to, like, like just like you said, like the top 10 list idea, listicles, everybody loves listicles. You know, that's sure. the easiest way to start a conversation with someone at the bar or, you know, your, your friend's house or whatever. So like from um, the goal of trying to get people to listen to my content, that was the motivation behind that. But like taking it from a more personal side of things, because as you are correct, like this is a very personal project to me. Um, I'm actually only 22 years old. I recently graduated from undergrad. And so about a year ago, so the start of my senior year, um, a goal of mine that I've had for a long time finally was fulfilled, which was to get into law school. But, you know, unlike most goals, actually, mo like most goals, once you, you reach it, you don't, you don't necessarily feel as satisfied as you thought you would. Yep. So, you know, that had me really considering, like, was I doing this for the sake of achieving the goal or was I doing this because it's something I wanted to pursue? And, you know, um, I am in law school today and I'm happy about it, but I need, I realized at that moment, like I wanted to do something with my life that I was, I was pursuing one to reach a goal because that's like, you know, part of life you want to make, you want to make goals and reach them, but two, so I can enjoy, you know, the quest, the journey or whatever. And um, so I've always had a thing for MBA writing. I did a little MBA writing on the side. You know, I love basketball. I loved, I grew up on like Bill Simmons, Jack McCallum. In my later years, I got into guys like Ben Taylor. But um, so, like I said, I wanted to make this top 10 list. And um, I talk about this in episode six, which is the MJ LeBron thing. I do come into this series with some biases. As a kid, you know, my dad, he was a huge fan of basketball in the 80s and 90s. So, of course, he's going to like, you know, um, gravitate towards his, magic and LeBron and, I mean, yeah, and Michael and, stuff and like MJ. That. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So sure. he told me, he always says, you know, son, he'll sit me down. They're kind of like, he's giving me the birds and bees talk, but instead he's giving me the, listen, you're, you're never going to find a basketball player better than MJ. And of course, as like a kid, you know, you want your dad to be like the smartest, coolest guy in the world. So I come into that with a long time. And so like, I'm always the guy in the room with my friends who's arguing on MJ's behalf. So when I started this series, you know, oh, really? it wasn't as that's yes, interesting. This, <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I started this series is like, uh, I'm going to make this top 10 list. I'm going to do all this research just to like throw it in their face. Like, see, this is why MJ is better than LeBron. And then I started doing all this research and I realized like I have a duty to all the guys I'm studying because before they're basketball players, they're human beings. Sure. And, you know, they come this like this story, regardless of how many people listen to it, is part of their legacies. And I have to make sure that I'm depicting it. That's our job as journalists is to to be objective observers of the, the content. And so I, you know, I went through this. I started doing all this research. And one day I got an idea of, you know, reaching out to some people that I really enjoyed, um, you know, and as somebody who's never done a big project before, I um, I got turned down a lot, you know, by by way of like people just not responding. But um, one day, Richard Deitch from The Athletic, I think I'm mispronouncing his last name, but um, no, that's it. he. Yeah, it is. OK, good. Yeah. But um, he reached out. He reached back out to me. He's like, hey, Matt, you know, he was like it was like two weeks after I emailed him. He's like, hey, Matt, um, you know, I'm more football oriented than basketball oriented. But he's like, I know somebody who would be really good for you to talk to. 
And I'm like, oh, yeah, who's that? He's like, oh, have you ever heard of Jack McCallum? I'm like, <laughs> hell yeah, <laughs> I've yeah, heard yeah. Of Jack McCallum, you know? Yeah. And so I reach out to Jack and Jack's, you know, really nice guy. And he goes, you know, Matt, I would do it, but I have like a, a conflict where my agent's working on a project similar to this. It was about like goats and sports, not just in the NBA. Oh, okay. And um, I'm like, oh, okay, no problem. He's like, but I have somebody who you should talk to that I think would be great to talk to for this. He's like, have you ever heard of Bob Ryan? And I'm like, oh my God, you know? And so I talked to Bob and that conversation, I mean, I'm going to hold it with me for the rest of my life. Like just the amount of knowledge this man has, like if you talked to him, we were on zoom, of course, and his bookshelf is like a library of just books. And I mean, for him to take the time out of his day at, you know, his advanced age, um, to take two hours out of his life to just talk to me, a guy who has no credibility, has no reason to talk to who he is. You know what I mean? That meant so much to me. And I felt like, like I said, like to those players, I felt like I owed them something. Him, I felt like I owed something. And then as I started racking up more interviews and talking to more people, I felt like all of them were a part of my journey now. And that I have to, you know, you call it ambitious because, you know, I, I owe it to all these people. It's like the, the, the debt I owe to all these people has piled up into all this ambition and it's, you know, become this project that now is the quest for the best. Today, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. Direct TV Stream brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part, there's no annual contract, so stop waiting and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. talking to matt isa he's the host of the quest for the best uh again a big podcast series looking at the 10 best players in nba history uh interviews with some of the greats from the nba media landscape and we're talking now about uh bob ryan i know his pick already is larry bird i can't imagine it being anything else i'm sure i'm sure you'll mention that in a few episodes down the road but i wanted i wanted to talk about what i found to be a a questionable selection on your part and as far as your honorable mention is concerned a one of one of the play, players that did not make your top 10 lists and that's will chamberlain and i think right away a lot of people would go whoa and you address that in your podcast because you think of will and i think most people automatically put him in that top five category if for nothing else just the fact that he put up some incredibly ridiculous numbers during his time but you had a pretty good explanation. And I found myself, even as I was listening to the show going, huh, that's, that's not wrong. You know, like you mentioned so many different criteria and ways of thinking about this process, but you had a, a very specific way of looking at Wilt's career arc. And I'm hoping you could share that with my listeners. Yeah. Um, so you're right. You know, that was like a big, you know, mic drop for me. Um, and usually when I had like the, the test people like test out the podcast and listen to it, I had like six or seven people before it was released, listen to it. And they would, I would know they were on like the certain part of the episode when their face would, they, you know, it would just like their eyebrows would raise. But um, so going back to my conversation with Bob, when we talked, he's like, you know, listen here, he had like a piece of paper and he goes like, there's nine guys who they've got to be on everybody's top 10 list or you're just like an idiot. You know what I mean? Right. And so it was, um, it was MJ LeBron, um, Bill Russell, Tim Duncan, Kobe, Larry Bird, Magic. And then he said, you know, it's, it's Will. 
So I, I've started like, you know, in my notes, um, I had those nine guys. I'm like, okay. So like, I start out thinking like, who's going to be the 10th guy. And then, you know, I do my research and my research and a couple of those guys start to get taken out and, you know, it comes to Will and, you know, Will's kind of, he's a weird one because like, we're like Russell, he's more of like, he's more of an ideal than a man. You know what I mean to us? Cause like we're younger. And so, you know, I'm looking through and I get down this rabbit hole of stats and I keep seeing this stuff and like the little film I am able to see on him, I keep rewatching and it just comes to me for a second. I'm like, you know, he's, he's one of the 13 best players who ever lived. I'm not going to say where he is between 11 and 13, because this would, that would make it a top 13 list. But um, he, I just, I don't, I can't, there's 10 guys that are greater basketball players than him. You know, when you start to, when you start to look at it all. And that was, I think that was like one of the scariest things, the scariest decisions I had to make for this entire series was leaving him off the list. But like I said, it's about being, you know, objective mm-hmm. and really like looking at this and, you know, seeing it for what it is. But you can't, I mean, can you be really objective? Cause you know, one of the things, and you mentioned this, at least in the episodes that I heard, you know, a big factor in how you weigh these things is context and context almost feels inherently subjective. Like we're talking about the greats and, and the moments that, you know, where they help to shape basketball. And I, and I talk about this even in context of Miami heat, great players and we'll get into this later on the show when we kind of debate some of the greatest players in heat history but when you're talking about like like look just this past weekend chris bosh enshrined in the uh, basketball memorial hall of fame and there are still people in the year 2021 questioning whether or not he belongs in the hall of fame it's it's you know moot at this point because obviously he is a hall of famer but you're looking at the context of his career and then the argument is well he didn't put up big numbers but he did almost everything else and he took a, a, you know, he sacrificed his production overall so that he could be a more functional part of a team that achieved incredible success. And that's part of what I think contextualizes an individual player's greatness. But, you know, part of that has to be again subjective. Like you're thinking about it. And, and to me, they won a lot. I watched him play during this era. I know how great he was. But that's all, again, that's all a personal opinion that I have regarding a player like Chris Bosh. I mean, can you be fully objective when you're talking about a player like this? And maybe you're kind of somewhat biased when you're talking about Wilt in that, again, you never really watched him play. You never watched him dominate the same way you did guys like Kobe and others. Yeah, and I, I think you make a really good point there. And I do, my editor said a similar thing. He's like, you know, be careful how much you use the word objective when you're talking about this. Because um, one part, like he said, it was like you kind of lose the appeal of the interest because like people are here to hear your opinion, right. not like, you know, the truisms of the world. But um, I guess like you do make good points here. But what I'll say is this. So like there's like even when I do obviously understand there's like arbitrary decision making that needs to be made. And I 100 percent had to make some arbitrary decisions. But like there's certain things that just. I don't know, like even like something that's like hard to contextualize, like greatness, mm-hmm. like you're, you're, for example, like, okay, it's like objective that Kobe Bryant has a large impact on the game of basketball. Like the newer generations looked up to him. Like that's an objective thing to believe. You know what I mean? Now, are you reaching a little bit saying like that? Um, I don't know, because Michael Jordan made like, angrier mannerisms on the court that he cared more about basketball than LeBron James. I think that's a little bit less of an objective statement. You know what I mean? That's fair. 
so no, no, I, sorry, I was curious. No, no, I was, you know, because you're you're saying this about Kobe, but you know, you bring up a good point and and comparing him uh, almost automatically to MJ, and and that kind of again takes away some of Kobe's greatness is that he's just kind of following in Jordan's footsteps. Do you kind of hold that sort of factor into the con, you know, the contextual discussion when it comes to analyzing players and ranking them? Yeah, of course. I mean, because if you look at it from that puts a ceiling on Kobe Bryant because the archetype of Michael Jordan, you know, is you have to be at such a level of efficiency and volume mm-hmm. on both ends of the court to to be considered like one of the greatest of all time with that specific archetype because it's so hard from a guard position to have like a huge impact on the defensive side of the ball. You know what I mean? So Kobe on like in everything he did, it was just a little bit of a notch below Jordan. You know what I mean? So that puts a hard ceiling on him because if Jordan's already part of this like super difficult archetype of like player, that's hard to have impact in a game at a championship level. Then if Colby can't reach that to its fullest potential, you have like a serious ceiling there. So Mm -hmm. you are right. Like him being not a mirror image of Jordan, but like 97%, 96%, whatever of Jordan that hurts him, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, that's fair. Uh, I, I, it was funny how you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, that you kind of were listening to your dad and, uh, you know, for, for you, it was gro- hearing him talk about the greatness of Jordan. And, and for me, it was, you know, I'm older than you are, but I, I heard so much about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, you know, and, and his greatness and everything else like that. And I, I, I know, well, I assume I have not heard yet whether or not he will be but i assume he's probably somewhere in that top 10 list too and and somewhat deserving considering his incredible scoring and his longevity and and you mentioned availability being a a a great factor in your analysis of a player's rank and everything else like that but kareem you know my dad talks about kareem like his eyes kind of glaze over he he calls him luel cinder at times and just how great he was you know, watching him play in the early late 60s and early 70s when he watched, you know, watched a, a championship run with the Bucks, and and then, you know, for his transition to the Lakers and everything else. And you think about that incredible span in between MVP trophies and, and, and things of that sort, like to, to win one in the early 70s, I think, if I recall correctly, and then somewhere in the mid to late 80s, like spanning the breadth of his career. Uh, and that he was still so impactful at such an, an early, you know late age when you're talking about NBA players and everything else like that. That's that's kind of what I think of when I hear like these conversations about the greats of the game and everything else like that. My father-in-law, conversely, like to him, like he ranks. Well, it doesn't really matter in context of your show, but he ranks Jordan number one, but number two is right behind him is Bill Russell. And again, that was a time period when he remembers as a child. The, the, the games being played in Boston and things of that sort. He's, he's from Cuba originally, but when he came and he emigrated to the United States, he spent a lot of his time in, in the Massachusetts area growing up again around Boston fans and Celtics fans and talking about Bill Russell and everything else like that. So for him, Bill Russell is imp- unimpeachable in terms of his overall greatness. And it's just, it's just funny how these conversations get handed down from generations to generations and they kind of skew your perspective to some degree. Yeah. And I think that was like, that's a big part of why the interviews are so important. Cause like, you know, right. I got to talk to um, Len Elmore who played against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So like, obviously he has like a unique experience Absolutely. with h- how to deal with the sky hook and, you know, what guys back then thought of Kareem and, you know, all that. And of course, like Bob, you know, watched Bill and Will. 
So the thing is, and you know this as somebody who interviews people and writes, like you have all the information in your head and you're talking to these people, but like you're coming at them with a certain line of questioning, but in the back of your mind, you're looking for something else that they're probably not aware of. And so like when I talk to people about Wilt, none of like none of them said anything to me that that didn't like, I guess that contradicted what I learned about him. You know what I mean? And those two factors put together was enough for me to say, okay, like Matt, you know, he's probably not one of the 10 best players ever. Yeah. That's, that's a interesting perspective. And I'm, I'm it's funny how you just, I, well, not funny, but interesting. I had forgotten this uh, in my notes here, but you, you did ask again in this kind of overall umbrella of context, like you asked players or ex players, what they thought of these greats that they played against. And I think that that does hold some force there. I mean, it has to be a factor because it's like, you know, you talk about it even in simplistic terms nowadays, you know, you go into a, a regular season matchup between two X teams and it's like, who are you, who are you, who's on the scouting report that you have to target first and foremost. And I think that kind of perspective overall uh, really does impact the overall greatness discussion. I remember doing this, like even from an impartial kind of just like curious sort of thing, going to locker rooms a few years ago, uh, the first season when Russell Westbrook won his, uh, his MVP and, and just asking just guys, every, every, it was, uh, you know, I would do like my interviews for whatever stories I was working on. And I kept asking random players what, you know, who they thought about the MVP race and almost all of them qualified. I think it was James Harden. Um, Russell, because they just, the magnitude of what he was able to do that first season and getting those triple doubles. And then to some degree, they, they were talking about some other players, but Kawhi was almost largely ignored from the MVP conversation. And that was like such a weird thing for me because it's like Kawhi is objectively a great player, but he's just, he still does not have that kind of respect around the league. Uh, I think to some degree, it's, it's interesting that I played. I maybe, you know, maybe if I, I had talked to different people or talked to, I had more conversations about this, I think maybe that would have changed a little bit, but it's, the, the the jury of your peers certainly should hold some sway in that discussion, but it's just interesting how how you in, were able to incorporate that to some degree in your analysis. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And to your point about uh, the Kawhi thing, it, yeah, my guess is like that was so he's last good year with San Antonio that year, right? What is that, 2016, 2017? We're talking yeah. about, yeah, well, yeah, no, so that was wasn't that his. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because they won it uh, in 2018, so that was his last year. You're absolutely you're right. You're uh, yeah. He was okay. His last good year, I mean, like so the year after he only played nine games, I think, because that's when the Zaza thing happened that same year. I'm getting I'm getting away from and the when here, but, when uh, well the Raptors won it in 2019. 19, yeah. So in 18 he played nine games. Right. And in 17 he was third in MVP voting. I think. Right. But um. So like I feel like at that time, like now it's changed, like where Kawhi is like, you know, he's a walking bucket at that at this point. Like he's just strong enough. His handles are tight enough now. But I think at that point he still wasn't as like refined of like a quote unquote bucket getter. And what I've noticed is players, and my buddy made this point to me, um, Jackson, he made this point that players just respect like bucket getters more because they know how hard it is, like at yep. the highest level to just get a basket from scratch. And in 2016, 2017, that's like peak Russell Westbrook bucket getter. And then James Harden, of course, he's been a bucket getter for the last 10 years. So, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, also, I think some of the early criticism of Kawhi and it kind of still, I think it dogs him to some degree is that he's kind of like a, 
a benefit of the system. And I think a lot of credit went to, to pop and the fact that you're playing with hall of famers like Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker and Tim Duncan, that certainly helps you in, in, in terms of, you know, being able to focus on what you do well and achieve greatness in that context. But that's, that was held against him to some degree, but uh, I was curious because you also like part of your whole approach to the show, at least this is what I took from it. And listening to you talk about this is your, your, you attack your own credibility quite a bit, at least throughout the first couple episodes from what I see. You're, you're pretty self-deprecating and you, you, you say, you know, pretty frequently, it's like, oh, I have no qualifications. You talk about your, you know, lackluster basketball playing career that you're just kind of starting out at this. Uh, what was your motivation for being so uh, dreadfully honest with your audience? Um, so I actually make a joke about why I did this in the third episode. So there is more self deprecating humor to come but uh, okay <laughs> the, i think the reason is like one of my biggest fears is like i don't want to sound like condescending that's one thing i don't want to i don't want like i just want my main goal one of my main goals in this series is like for people who aren't like really privy to basketball history for them to get into it you know what i mean so like when you're trying to get somebody into something you don't want to just like make them feel like okay you have this wealth of knowledge and you will never achieve this sage master status you know yeah so there's that and at the same time like i want this like I want people to see, like, come out of this and be like, okay, I know Matt Issa pretty well now. Like, I know the guy pretty well. And in my personal life, like, I'm known to make, like, comments like that, that, you know, will garner some amusement from the people around me. Like, I feel like the guy that I am in those podcasts, maybe I'm a little bit, le- I'm a little bit more nervous when I talk during that. But, like, the guy that I am in those podcasts that you hear is very similar to the person that, you know, walks around the face of the earth right now. Well, it's that time again. Time for me to remind all of you that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar I've ever had. If you haven't tried it by now, it's about time you did. And it's so easy for you to get so many delicious flavors. If you go to Built.com, you can get a mixed box that gives you two of each of nine delicious flavors, from coconut to mint brownie to strawberry to cookies and cream and salted caramel, some of my favorites. You can mix and match an amazing combination of flavors and all of them soft and easy to chew, 100% covered in chocolate. So you don't even know you're eating a protein bar, but you get all the nutrients you need for any type of diet that you might have. If you go to built.com and use the promo code LOCK15, you get 15% off your order. So use the promo code LOCK15 for 15% off, but only at built.com. And with the money you save at Built Bar, you can go to Bet Online because we're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on to start another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. So don't forget to use the promo code NFL100. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, your online sportsbook experts, and don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON. Betting on the NBA doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day 
Follow the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get podcasts. So uh, just kind of a, not necessarily a lightning round, but just, you know, was there anything that stood out that you weren't expecting from one of your interviews? Like one interviewer that you, or, you know, somebody you interviewed and like something that they said just resonated and you hadn't even considered, you hadn't even thought about, I'm sure, you know, talking to Bob and others like that, that probably something stood out, but that looking back now, was there something that you hadn't expected in talking to a certain person that you interviewed that really just changed the whole dynamic or your whole approach to the show? Um, okay. So like, there's a person that was like, really that changed kind of like my dynamic and perspective on like basketball as a whole. Right. And that is uh, Iowa, Iowa head coach, Fran McCaffrey in that. So like, you know, I talked to, he was probably like the seventh or eighth coach I talked to for the series. And, you know, the first couple of ones, they were all as helpful as they could be, but you can tell like, you know, coaches, especially at that high of a level, they have a hard time like communicating what they see in their brain to like, you know, layman like me yep. and you. Right. Yeah. But coach Fran was like, and you never guess it, you know, watching all the Iowa games, seeing him with Garza and whatnot. He was like basketball Tony Romo to me, the way he talked about the game. It was just like so like relatable. He made it so easy to consume. And like even I have a hard time, you know, after all this research I've done, I still have a hard time with some of the more sophisticated concepts of the game. And he like he taught me so much in that conversation. And, you know, some of it was about the um the players in this list, but a lot of it was just about like the X's and O's of the game. He spent like 15 minutes just breaking down to me like all the different options on like a pocket pass you know what i mean right and he was just he was such a cool guy and i, I really enjoyed talking to him and i think like if he wasn't like a head coach because like that's the ultimate you know gig for non-athletes in sports if he wasn't a head coach he would make a great like color commentator right uh was there any player without kind of divulging your overall ranking or anything like that was there a player that took like a an unexpectedly big leap or a big drop that you weren't considering you know i i guess Will probably feels like that would be the, the obvious choice, but was there any other player that just stood out that was like, huh, I didn't realize how damn great they were when I was, you know, when you started off this project? Yeah, it's it's Kevin Garnett. And he was like, he was a guy, you know, he's become sorry, this like is a heat podcast. We won't take any Garnett praise here. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, he was a guy who I feel like I use him now as like the litmus test for how much somebody knows basketball. Like so. If you like, oh, I guess I'm out. <laughs> oh my God. No, I don't mean that, David. I mean, like, so like if you watch basketball, like you're probably familiar with Kevin Garnett. If you like you really watch basketball, you know, Kevin Garnett's like a first ballot hall of famer, but oh. until I, I started this project. I can't, um, I can't do it, man. I was just in Springfield right now watching him diss Ray Allen, you know, and sitting alongside Paul Pierce and, and, uh, I mean, we're, I don't, you're probably too young to remember Quentin Richardson on this team do, getting I into a fight. Okay. Well, Quentin Richardson getting into a fight with Pierce and Garnett and then referring to them after a playoff series as a bunch of actresses. So, I mean, that's, that's the kind of formative discussion around Kevin Garnett that I'm used to here in Miami. So I, I don't know, it's going to be a tough sell for my listeners as far as whether or not to uh, appreciate basketball, because it, it requires them to appreciate Kevin Garnett. Oh, oh. Yeah, I guess you're right. That might not play well. The optics. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's tough. No, no I, look, I get it. I mean, like even these recent conversations again, like Chris Bosch, like 
you know, a, a six foot 10, six, 11 guy who, who changed the dynamic of basketball to some degree. And I mean, I even got a chance to ask Chris about it himself, you know, the fact that he, and in his view, as humble as he is, he just views himself as one of many players that had an impact on, on changing the big position. You know, uh, he, you know, he's hard to, he's hard to categorize because he, he came into this league at a point in time when the big man wasn't necessarily dying out, but you know, it was Shaq towards the mid to late part of his career. Guys like Robinson and others had retired. You know, th that position was changing. Car Garnett played a big role in changing it to a huge degree. Uh, and then I also think, you know, Chris Bosch kind of carried that torch. And thinking back about how he was impacting the game in 2012, I mean, Bosch, you know, now all of a sudden small ball is 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 pretty frequent obviously and we see that and i think a big part of that was going positionless you know due to eric spolstra and relying on chris bosh and him stretching the floor and being the guy who can guard one through five out in the perimeter he just changed the overall approach from the center position and it's you can't give bosh credit without acknowledging that garnett certainly played a role in that i know and the thing is about basketball people forget sometimes it's like the game is just like favored towards you know taller guys so if you can get a guy like Bosch or Garnett who can you know not only provide impact as like a rim protector but they can move on the perimeter on defense and on offense they're like this super versatile weapon like they become immensely more valuable just because of that just because of that size and their ability to impact the floor at a high level on both sides of the court um but yeah that what you said getting to talk to Bosch the Hall of Fame is I remember I was listening to your podcast when you just got back from the Hall of Fame last week and I heard you say that like in passing and I was like thinking to myself, I'm like, did he just say he talked to Chris Bosch? So I rewinded and I'm like, yep, he, he talked to Chris Bosch. But like, you, you know, I was telling you before the show, I'm like the kind of guy who just gets excited about the little things. But um, yeah, I want to, this is like on a completely unrelated note, but after the right. series is over, one of the things I want to do is go back and rewatch like game film from that 2009, 2010 Raptors season with Chris Bosch. Cause I think that's like, a really underrated history in the like Chris Bosch lore. And I really want to break it down. That wraps up part one of my conversation with Matt. Be sure to check out part two posting later on today. Just a reminder that you can always reach me via email at lockedonheat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskAllHeat. Be sure to please follow the show and leave a review. Special thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting today's episode. And thanks to all of you most of all. This is David Ramil signing off for now. 